Good afternoon and welcome to this very special edition of Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. I think we should title today's episode of Screen Cleaning, Screen Cleaning, Time for Love. Aw, or sweet. There's always time for love. Because you know what day it is. Is it Valentine's Day, Cole? It is, or the day after, or the day after that, depending on, you know, when you're listening to it. Has but. Valentine's Day ever, I, I don't remember it falling on the same weekend as President's Day. I think it usually does. And so oh. as I looked at some of the box office, because we talk about movies and entertainment here on Screen Cleaning, it is what we do, I, I was taking a look at just which movies normally win the Valentine's Day or President's Day weekend, and they're often close, they're similar. This is an odd weekend for Valentine's Day because the the movie that I think would have been perfect for a Valentine's Day release, Emma, doesn't come out until next week and it's only limited release. And that is a movie that I still know almost nothing about. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just remember that it is the – it's what Clueless is based off of. Oh, and I think that might come up a little bit later because Jeffrey – Today we're talking rom-coms really? in honor of the love holiday. Oh, I love romantic comedies. Romantic comedies to me are like cinematic comfort food, Cole. There's nothing better than to just curl up with the one that you love or with the one that you hope to love. Is that and... the DVD copy of whatever movie that you love that you're talking about <laughs> going up with? Well, I don't want to give anything away until we're ready to talk about this. Gotcha. Because the first thing that we like to do with each and every show is give our listeners the very best of the entertainment news, Cole. And there's a lot of news that came out this last week. There was. This is going to be a fun weekend at the box office. But last weekend, there was uh, something different dominating the movie conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not was, talking about the Oscars, are you? There was an awards show. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting because at the box office, movies underperformed and the Oscars, lowest viewership ever. Also underperformed. So what were people watching? That's I expected after I saw the box office returns for a one Harley Quinn or The Emancipation or something, something, something uh, that now has a different title anyway, uh, <laughs> that I thought, oh, maybe people were just – Inside watching the Oscars and it took some of the Sunday night matinees or whatever it was. And Why do you think it is, Cole? Do you think it was because there was no host? Do you think it was because there weren't any Black Panther movies or, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody movies that were up for Best Picture? The big box office draws. None yeah. of the blockbusters really got nominated. I mean, Lion King Joker and... might be an exception. Joker made a billion dollars worldwide, but it made way more money overseas than it did here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Are you a fan of the hostless format? Um, I'm a huge fan. I grew up watching Billy Crystal open the show with this medley, and then he would also do this. Which we got um, out of Janelle Monet. That was a head scratcher. That was a medley. It it was a head-scratching medley. And then we got a monologue from Steve Martin and Chris Rock. Right. Two, so they do, they do this every time. They don't have a host, but then they bring out two people that are essentially hosting, but they're saying – they don't say that they're hosting, right? And then you had little hosts in between. Like, I mean, I think the only time that I laughed was when Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph came out. And mm. they were doing kind of an awkward bit. And then they started singing – and it all just went off the rails from there, and I, I genuinely 
was laughing by the end of their whole thing. So and then there were the people that were introducing people that were going to introduce something else. Yes, as a host might usually do. <laughs> yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda – or no, there was somebody introducing Lin-Manuel Miranda and then Lin-Manuel Miranda introduced something else that wasn't an award either. Right. So it was really kind of interesting. Eminem performed, which had absolutely nothing to do with anything. Right. Um, apparently from now on we're going to start bringing back every – person that won but didn't attend the Oscars. <laughs> um, no, that was clearly a grab to or a, clearly an attempt to get the younger viewers to watch. But if you don't advertise that Eminem will be here. That's very true. The younger viewers don't know to watch. They'll go and, and watch the didn't. performance online afterward. That, it's right? true. It's a YouTube kind of culture. So I was a little disappointed in that. I, I was happy that Oscars made history this year, but I was a little disappointed in that, uh, the, for the most part, there weren't any surprises. I mean, we were pretty much spot on with all of our guesses, with the exception of Best Picture, of course, which is one of the ways in which Oscars made history this year. That's right. The very first foreign language film won Best Picture. It's Parasite. Yes. So director Bong Joon-ho Won technically three Oscars, although oh. he really won four Oscars. He was up why, there accepting it four times. Why? Why did not? Why was he not the winner of the international award? In the best Oscar technicality news of the week, it turns out that when you win an international feature film Oscar, it is the country that sponsored your film that technically goes home with receiving the Oscar, even though the director gets up there and the director will have his name on the plaque and it's the film in general that wins. Technically, South Korea got one Oscar. Bong Joon-ho got three others for screenwriting, Best Picture and Best Director. Now, why does South Korea get the Oscar? I mean, it was that was their film. Parasite was made in South Korea and they sent it forward just like Les Mis was a French film. So and... they selected it. Yes. So you're telling me by that same logic... If I were to put aside five films at my house, invite some friends over, mm -hmm. and then select which film we were all going to watch together, I am deserving of an Academy Award. Well, you're deserving of all the blame or <laughs> reward of if people liked that. That's true. Which generally happens anyway. Hmm. Okay. Well, that was the Oscars. I will say the thing that made me the happiest was when Taika Waititi won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit, which you still have not seen, Cole. That was my favorite of all of those films. That's true. And I probably will at some point. You've got to. <laughs> All right, so let's so, talk about the box office Yeah, then. while people weren't watching the Oscars, they also weren't going to the theaters either Birds of Prey and The Fantabulous Emancipation of a One Harley Quinn, which I love. I love weird meandering titles like that. Okay. Made $33 million over the weekend, which is a very, very low total. It's the lowest of the entire DC extended universe. Mm. It, it's very disappointing, even coming off... Suicide Squad, not a great movie, but it did have a decent opening box office take. People were excited for it. Yeah. In response, DC immediately, apparently, uh, is listening to some of the online backlash that they people didn't understand why the title was as beautiful as the title was. And they have renamed it for theaters, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. 
So they're thinking that's going to get people there. I don't think there was a confusion. <laughs> this is obviously what it is. It's the sequel-ish to Suicide Squad. I saw it a little bit early. It really is um, It is shocking how low the box office is. Now, that second week in February, I went back and did a little bit of research, and Harley Quinn underperformed even in comparison to last year. Last year, the Lego Movie 2, the second part, had mm-hmm. a very disappointing— Also another great title. A fantastic title, mm-hmm. and for a sequel, a very disappointing box office at the time. I remember people were kind of concerned what this would mean for the future of the Lego franchise— $34 million in comparison. So it did slightly better even than Harley Quinn. But this is just kind of a disappointing-ish weekend. You go back again, this was kind of the Valentine's Day, uh, the Fifty Shades franchise had the number one performance for a couple years. There was a Lego Batman that was up there. But Harley Quinn, even in kind of a low bar weekend, that second weekend in February has the lowest box office of that weekend, too. You know what, Cole? This, I don't understand it. I thought it was great. This could work. I mean, because do you know who Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner is? Not a clue. Well, when he changed his name to Sting, people started <laughs> noticing. So this could happen, Cole. This could this could break the bank right here. I I'm not sure. Or I, that's not even the right expression. This, this could, could send them to the bank to cash okay. all those checks. To rob the bank. This is a movie about bad guys after all. <laughs> all right. I really did. I enjoyed Harley Quinn. It's very along the same line as the two Deadpool movies. And I also looked at kind of what they did at the box office as well. Deadpool opened the first one to $132 million in less theaters than Harley Quinn had. Okay. And the second one opened to 125. So it's not even an R-rated, foul-mouthed comic book movie that's kind of dragging this down. It's not that there isn't an audience for this kind of a film. It's just, for whatever reason it was, people did not go out to see it. I thought it compared very favorably to Deadpool. I enjoyed the whole ensemble, Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie. Everything was fantastic. So, Cole, what is happening this weekend? I know that there doesn't seem to be much in the way of Valentine's movies, but what is a movie that's coming out this weekend that maybe we could take our Valentine to? So there's Fantasy Island, which certainly sounds like it should be a Valentine's movie, but in reality it's a Blumhouse horror written by the same people that did Truth or Dare. That plane, that plane. Do you think they're going to have that line in there? One can only hope. They brought in Michael Pena probably for that purpose only. Uh, Not good early reviews, and we didn't go see it. There's also Downhill, which is going to... Hopefully, if if the Hulu advertising that I have seen is any indication, they are trying to get adults to go see Will Ferrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus have a marriage fall apart up on the ski slopes. Nothing, nothing better to rekindle your marriage than to go see other people break up. Right. Maybe you should watch a marriage story instead and just stay home and watch Netflix. But there is a family movie, for whatever reason, also coming out this Valentine's Day weekend, and it is... Sonic the Hedgehog. I was trying to do a sound of, of Sonic losing all of his coins. It I didn't caught really it. Work. Yeah. Okay. There was a scene in the movie where Sonic got hit and he lost all his coins, his, his little rings. Okay. They got so, that. 
what is this movie about, Cole? You and I both saw it. We did. In fact, you sat behind me. Very interesting story very quickly about Cole's experience <laughs> at the movie theater. Cole couldn't find – he got there a little late, so he couldn't find two seats that were next to each other until somebody else was friendly enough to say, oh, I'll move over so, Cole, you and your friend can sit here. Right. And uh, so Cole goes to sit down and then he talks to the guy next to him and says, oh, on the other side, are you saving this seat? And the guy said, yeah, I'm saving this seat. So we're watching the movie, five, 20 minutes 45 minutes go by. The whole movie. The whole movie goes by. I turn around. Yeah, there's nobody in that seat. That guy just wanted to sit by himself with. Never uh, did he flag anyone down. Never did he. He was just enjoying the buffer zone that you get when you tell people that you're saving a seat for yourself. It was a little rude. (laughs) And this is somebody that we see on a regular basis, but we don't have to talk anymore about that. We can talk about the movie, though, and yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is an adaptation of a video game, which movie-wise doesn't usually go well, but I think they geared this one to the kids, mm-hmm. and I think it was to their success. The movie begins with a cute little baby Sonic learning that he has these very magic, important rings to always keep close to him and that can be used as portals to different worlds. And one of the worlds he ends up on is Earth. Of course. He's trying to hide away. He's trying to not be seen because his power is too great. He's a very fast hedgehog, if you're not familiar with the character. He's a a blue little critter, and he very much looks like he does in the video games. We can get back to that visual effects a little bit later as well. But Sonic ends up uh, just kind of staying in the background of this quiet little town, just yearning for a friend. There's another human character that is also feeling a little lonely, so much so that at one point in the movie, he's talking to a donut. Yeah, James Marsden is our uh, human companion in this little buddy cop movie that we get. He's a cop of this small little town called Green Hills, of course, a reference to the Green Hills zone. And he and his wife are kind of looking to move to the big city because he wants something new in his life because he is kind of just lonely at times. Yeah. You know, with the amount of blatant product placement in this film, especially with with regards to the Olive Garden, I'm surprised that he wasn't talking to a bag of breadsticks or something from the Olive Garden. I, I think Power Rangers juiced all the money Krispy Kreme had to offer a couple <laughs> of years ago with that blatant product placement. And it does compare favorably to Power Rangers, to Pokemon Detective Pikachu just last year. In They're bringing back an old property from the, the early 90s or so. And... Yeah, the product placement reminded me specifically of Power Rangers throughout. But then just kind of the cute human and CGI critter interaction reminded me a lot of Pokemon. I I, I enjoyed this movie. Okay. Well, if you want my opinion on whether I like this movie, here's how I could best describe it. Okay. This movie was the best movie I've seen based on a video game. High praise? <laughs> well, let me just let me just say, I felt like it opened strong, right? It it uh, it shows him running, it shows him doing all the Sonic things that we all want to see him doing right off the bat. The movie's really clipping along at a very pleasant speed until Jim Carrey's very hit or miss performance, uh, mostly miss. Aww. It just stops the film dead in its tracks, Cole. It's the the humor and the 
the dialogue that they give him, and, and I assume that he improvised quite a bit of this dialogue, just doesn't work for me. And this is coming from somebody that grew up with Jim Carrey, never missed a Jim Carrey movie, would watch his films dozens of times. Was You couldn't find a bigger Jim Carrey fan than me. And uh, I just don't think it works here. Um, I and Another couple of things I would have loved to have seen in this film – Besides maybe more product placement because that the those were some interesting and entertaining moments. But uh, had I would have fun with it. You know, a lot of people complained about the look of this film. And I will admit the newer look is better than what they had previously. Absolutely. But as long as you know, as long as the filmmakers are listening to complaints, one of my complaints was that he didn't lose all of his rings whenever he would get hit. Like in the video game. I would have loved to have seen that. We got that once. We got the Green Hill Zone theme song once. At the very end. He said, gotta go fast once. Like, they got in those those Mm. points of nostalgia. Mm. It didn't have to be like a core element of the entire movie. I was satisfied. This is a very safe, squeaky clean family movie. You're not going to have to worry about taking your kids to this film because... There's there's a one H-E double hockey stick word. <gasps> Other than that, there's a bunch of what the and then nothing is said or son of a with nothing said. But, yeah, there's there's no language in this film. The humor and a warning, I think, for folks my age that grew up with Sonic and thought that maybe he was like the cool video game character. He's played to a younger audience for the families in this movie. He flosses, he does goofy, sometimes annoying, like rants, and, and just the the jokes and the humor of this are geared a little lower, I think, than Power Rangers or, or Detective Pikachu. Sure. And uh, I I feel like it was a great start to this potential franchise, and it's a great warm-up to something greater, assuming the film makes enough money to cover Jim Carrey's paycheck. Yeah, the box office is going to have to heat up after last week for us to truly pay off the sequel that they teased in the end credits. You always, you know, with these kind of... Uh, franchise fodder you want to stay at least through the mid credits to see who they introduce well cole one more piece of news before we go to break this weekend there's another video that people have or will be watching quite a bit online and uh, it's in anticipation for another movie that's coming out in april it is no time to die by billy eilish and when we return here on screen cleaning Cole, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking rom-coms, which is something that is a favorite of mine, and uh, I can't wait to share my favorite with you. And also, we are going to come up with the ultimate rom-com of all time, and we're going to tell you just how we're going to do that. We get a little bit of a formula, if you will. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. There's just no time to die. Choose me. Marry me. Let me make you happy. Oh, that sounds like three fairies, doesn't it? Would you stop thinking about what everyone wants? Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your parents want. What do you want? I like you. Very much. Uh, apart from the smoking and the drinking and the vulgar mother and the verbal diarrhea. No, I like you very much. Just as you are. 
I'm also just a girl. Standing in front of a boy. Asking him to love her. I love you. You complete me. Cole, I'm in the mood for love. It's the right holiday for it. You know, what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than to go see a movie about people breaking up or a hedgehog or doing what I'm going to do and taking my kids and staying in a hotel and and not being with my wife because she's eight months pregnant and needs the time off. There's a movie about that? No, that actually is happening this weekend. Gotcha. But that's not what we're talking about now. We are talking about the greatest rom-com or romantic comedy of all time. And what makes that romantic comedy a romantic comedy? Well, Cole, when I watch a romantic comedy, I don't I don't necessarily want anybody to push the envelope or do something that's going to shock me or necessarily be something that's entirely original. I just want comfort food, Cole. I want to snuggle up in that blanket with my wife and just have a grand old time, whether or not it's the greatest movie of all time, right? Jeff talks about rom-coms the way I am known to talk about horror movies around October, but it's February, and so I'll uh, I'll give you the floor. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, again, when you watch a romantic comedy, you don't want to feel down. You want to feel good, right? You don't want to watch a movie about people breaking up, although that is certainly an element in a lot of romantic comedies, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh-huh. But you want to try to recapture this feeling of love that not only you have for each other, which hopefully hasn't been lost at this point, but you just want to you just want to feel all warm and fuzzy inside, right, Cole? And so Cole and I have come up with some criteria for what makes a great romantic comedy. So we've identified 11 romantic comedies, and there are countless examples that we could have talked about, but we just don't have time for. And we tried to stick with mainly the uh, the main – what's the word I'm looking for, Cole – the the mainstream romantic comedies, right? You stick to right? the fairway, right? right. There, is a, there is a clear chunk of rom-coms from the late 80s to mid-90s to uh, breaching into the 2000s where they kind of established a specific theme and feel that the, our generations together f- think of when they think rom-coms. Right. And so I'm not going to tell you what those films are just yet, but I will start by sharing what the criteria will be to judge these films, by which we will judge these films, right? So in a romantic comedy, at some point, there needs to be a breakup. That doesn't necessarily have to happen between the two leads, but somebody breaks up with somebody else in this romantic comedy, right? Often our strong woman protagonist is dating a perfectly normal guy that she has to break up with in order to get with the main guy. Usually the one that she spends the whole movie arguing with, right? That Which, one. Some of them just make no sense, <laughs> right? Okay. There has to be some grand gesture for your significant other. Often towards the end of the movie, maybe interrupting uh, you know, something that's taking place between two Interrupting a wedding. Yeah, exactly. uh, serenading somebody in some grand way. Stopping traffic. Right. Yes. These are, these are great examples of a wonderful romantic comedy trope. The next one is there has to be a wedding. 
And again, not necessarily between the two leads, but there's always a wedding in a good romantic comedy, what right? What a better venue to fall in love at. Right. There's usually a plucky best friend. Plucky is probably a good word to describe it, right? Absolutely. Somebody that is inserting themselves into the main character's life, giving them advice, who's there as just the comic relief oftentimes, right? So the plucky best friend. Another criteria we have here is something keeping them apart. This can be the career, religion, fate itself. This is your Romeo and Juliet category sure. where, you know, the two feuding families or or uptown girls, something's keeping you from being the perfect couple. Everyone else says it can't work, but you believe the stars have aligned and it can. Yeah. The romantic comedy must also be about both of the leads. So it can't be all one-sided. You've got to spend time with them individually to get to know their characters a little better. And it's got to be about both of them. Yes. Okay. Uh, The next one on the list, they must get together at the end. As Jeff said, we're picking the perfect romantic comedy, which means we do want to feel good. It's it's the middle of the road, the the rom-com. And in those, you, you can you can try to subvert the genre all you want. But in the rom-com, we want them together at the end. We want a happy ending. Right. There also needs to be moments of clumsiness. This is a must-have in a romantic comedy. This is sometimes, Cole... This is how you know that you're watching a romantic comedy because people trip and fall or they get stuck in a door, you know, things like that that are clumsy and I think to most people are charming or at least they're the way they're presented in movies make us think that maybe we're supposed to find that sort of thing charming. How else can you signify that this perfect, beautiful movie star is actually a relatable person that <laughs> might fall in love with you? There needs to be a montage, you know, a montage that shows them either falling in love, trying on clothes, getting ready for a wedding, things like that. Right, Cole? Yes. And explain what a montage is, Cole. Well, for anyone that's seen Rocky, <laughs> it's when <laughs> you you set a, a music bed or a specific song down and then we quickly clip from, from scene to scene to scene in a thematic Showing fashion. them accomplishing something, Absolutely. right? You've, you've grown. Time has passed over a short amount of film time. Yeah. And then there's got to be dancing and or singing. There's got to be Cole. There there does have to be, but this this specific one is the one I think I maybe pushed back on you for the most because we we're going to talk about the other subgenres of rom-com a little later on. We're we're trying to find the purest rom-com, and the purest rom-com is not going to be a musical per se. Often musicals have a guy and a girl that get together at the end and have a couple of these other things, but but the dancing and the singing has to be just just one little scene. Maybe it happened at the wedding. Maybe it's sure. maybe it's how they kind of fall in love. Maybe it's it's one scene at the maybe beginning. Maybe it's the serenading that yeah. comes in. Okay. But it's not going to be a musical rom-com. That is correct. That's for cool. a different day. All right. So let's go through these films. Let's put them up against these criteria and see if they will be the ultimate Romantic comedy. How do they stack up? All right. So, Cole, you're a big fan of this movie. Tell us a brief plot synopsis for 500 Days of Summer. Well, uh, a man by the name of Tom is feeling in a rut in his life when along comes Summer, played by Zoe Deschanel. He he is just swept off his feet by the fact that she likes the same weird music that he does and that she works just down the way from where he does at a 
at a Hallmark gift card factory, pretty much, where he <laughs> writes the inspirational things that go on these generic cards. And they, in a very out-of-order, time-wise story, we see the the course of their journey and we see how they come together, but eventually don't. Right. So we know that there's a breakup in the movie. We know that there's uh, there's dancing slash lip syncing because he has this little fantasy of Make him. Make my dreams come That's true. right. Um, there are certainly uh, – this is certainly a movie about both of the leads. Although if you think about it, it is it skews a little more toward It is Tom's, Tom's story. It's yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's view on how this relationship went, which is an important theme to the whole movie. Several plucky best friends. There's a wedding. He has a plucky little sister, which might be my favorite. True. There, there is a wedding, but unfortunately, it's not Tom and Summer's wedding. But the thing that really disqualifies this, Cole, is that they don't get together at the end. No, they do not. And so for that reason, sorry, 500 Days of Summer, you are eliminated from our list. But the next one might have a better chance. And this one, Cole, is... I would I would venture to say this is the most critically acclaimed romantic comedy of all time. It was a Best Picture winner, and it stars somebody that usually writes movies about romance and breaking up. And it's uh, Annie Hall, Woody Allen's Best Picture winner, and it's also starring Diane Keaton, who we saw at the Oscars. Also, right. So this is a film about two neurotic people trying to get together. <laughs> And hilarity ensues, right? What I mean, more can you want? Right. That's really the the plot synopsis that you need for this film. Again, it was a Best Picture winner. Um, there are certainly moments of clumsiness. It's definitely about both of the leads, um, although, it's it, again, it would skew more toward Woody Allen's character for sure. Uh, if there's anything keeping them apart, it's really just themselves, right? They kind of have this on-again, off-again relationship, And they have these best friends that are offering them advice and everything. However, what disqualifies this movie is that there's really no grand gesture that any of them provide for each other, right? Mm -hmm. So for that reason, even though on Rotten Tomatoes it's got a 97%, even though it went home with the Oscar – um, sorry, Annie Hall, you are off the list. Can't be a perfect rom-com if it's Woody Allen right. that's at the helm. You know, here is probably the only other romantic comedy that I can think of. No, that's not true. This is one of the very few other romantic comedies to win Best Picture. This is a black and white one. And this one is probably a little more dramatic than it is uh, funny, but there are some very funny moments in this movie. And what is it, back in time to 1960s The Apartment with Mm. Jack Lemmon. So this is a film that would not be made today. The premise of it it would have to be set in an an alternative time because – the whole movie is about uh, sexual harassment, basically. This poor schlub who works in an insurance office is being taken advantage of by his superiors who want to use his apartment to have these extramarital affairs. Not necessarily the most family-friendly of themes out there, but uh, this movie won Best Picture, and you really do fall in love with these characters played by Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine. And... Uh, He's kind of a he's kind of a lovable schlub. People walk all over him. He's certainly clumsy, and we get that. There are breakups in this movie. 
Um, not necessarily between uh, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon because they're spending this movie trying to get together. At least Jack Lemmon is trying yeah. to, right? Yeah. Um, there's certainly a grand gesture involved. Um, there are certainly things keeping them apart. And in this case, the thing that's keeping them apart is Shirley MacLaine is dating Jack Lemmon's boss mm-hmm. who wants to use Jack Lemmon's apartment to be with Shirley MacLaine. So it's, uh, yeah, very unfortunate for him. Um, there are even little moments of singing as Jack Lemmon uh, is very silly in his apartment and does what Jack Lemmon does so well. However, something that's going to disqualify this film is the lack of a plucky best friend. They're nowhere to be found in this film, Cole, likely because Jack Lemon is kind of a loner and this sad sack. Doesn't particularly have a best friend in general. Hopeless romantic. That is a nicer way of saying what he is. And you just fall in love with him and you spend the whole movie thinking, what's wrong with you, Shirley MacLaine? Get together with this awesome, awesome, great guy. And uh, (laughs) will she see that by the end of the film? You got to watch it to find out. Nice. Yes. All right. But so, not quite the perfect rom-com. Right. Cole? I think it's a little too old. I think in 1960, these firm tropes that we're talking about today weren't as established. Okay. And that that's why it's kind of missing out on some of those beats. So, Cole, what about a favorite of yours? One that's not as much a favorite of mine, but uh, starring somebody that had a great decade in the 90s. When, when we talked about Independence Day movies, we talked about Independence Day, the movie, and also Men in Black, <laughs> and how Will Smith dominated this holiday. But when I think of the most Will Smithy movie that there is, it was when he just got to, to let loose in Hitch where he's the date doctor and he has gentlemen come to him to kind of spruce up their profile to to get ready for dating and and to try to allow women to see the cool guy that's that's underneath that they maybe can't see. Sure. Lots of lots of dancing in this movie. Lots of dancing. Um there are definitely Although oh you got to keep it keep it right in here. Right. Oh, thanks Cole. If you're going to that's how you do it. Okay. Um, lots of moments of clumsiness. This movie with the dancing and the clumsiness, big, I don't want to say offender because we want that in a romantic comedy, right? They do get together at the end. It's about both of them. They have the plucky best friends in a way. Uh, there's something keeping them apart, and it's his career and her career, I guess. There is a wedding at the end. There's some grand gesture involved. There's a breakup. But we racked our brains. We could not find a montage from this film, Cole. Nah, when there's there's a few dates that kind of go in succession, and it seems like we could get into that stereotypical rom-com really montage, but, but they just don't go quite there. All right. And that's what it's missing out on. Sorry, Hitch. Okay, this is a film I'm going I'm to defer to you on, Cole, because I've never seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. If you'd ask me before we started this process, this, I think, is the most rom com movie to me. It's Matthew McConaughey, who is um, a player, and his best <laughs> friends, they, they're plucky, you might say, uh, challenge him to a bet that he can get any woman to fall in love with him, and they pick someone at random. The, the woman that they happen to pick at random just so happens to be a columnist who's writing a story about how to lose a guy. In 10 days, how to just be the worst because her plucky best friend also just got 
broken up with as we start hitting the beats as we go and yep. just describing the movie. Okay, but what is it that ultimately disqualifies this film from the list, Cole? See, there's there's nothing inherently that keeps these two apart. There's there's a tragic misunderstanding. There's the big lie, which rom-coms often have. That it, that's another trope that we didn't talk about, but. They're they're pretty much on the same level. There's no one saying, oh, you two shouldn't get together. In fact, most people by the end are rooting for them to get together, and, and it does come all together into grand gesture. But there's there's nothing that specifically keeps them apart. There, there's, no, okay. there's no division there. Well, we would be remiss in our duties as hosts of screen cleaning if we didn't talk about my best friend's wedding, one that should cert I mean, a conversation that should certainly include Julia Roberts, right? Yeah. So How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Matthew McConaughey, he was a, a rom-com staple. We tried to diversify our movie selections here, and here's our Julia Roberts entry. And really, there are only a couple of people that appear in a couple of these films. There's very little overlap, okay? Mm -hmm. So my best friend's wedding has a lot of the things that you would expect and hope to see in a romantic comedy. Um, but the one thing it does not have, this is one of the few films on this list that is not about both of the leads. Is it about their best friend's it wedding? Is, I mean, the film is called <laughs> My Best Friend's Wedding, not... Uh, Our wedding. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> so... It spends the whole movie with Julia Roberts' character. And, and what we mean by it needs to be about both of the leads, you need to have scenes that uh, the, the, the leads are independently filming – or how do I describe this? They appear in the scenes independently of each other. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're talking to a friend or maybe they're, you know – Talking to, I don't know, somebody Their else. mom yeah. or whatever it is. They they have to be talking to other people about the other person. That That's what the rom-com is all about. But if, you see, in... if you see Dermot Mulroney on screen, he's with Julia Roberts. Exactly. Okay? So, sorry, my best friend's wedding, but uh, you're not the ultimate rom-com here. Can I talk about one of my favorite romantic comedies, Cole? You may, because this, I uh, can't. I this is a it. film that came out at just the right time in my life. It came out... When I was 17 years old, and so I was in that, you know, lovey-dovey, hopeless romantic stage in my life, and I was so surprised to see this PG-rated romantic comedy called Return to Me, directed by Bonnie Hunt and starring David Duchovny and Minnie Driver, one of the most charming couples that I've seen on screen. And there are moments of clumsiness, there's dancing, there's singing... There are grand gestures. There's a wedding involved. There are plucky best friends, really in the form of David Allen Greer and Jim Belushi and all these really famous uh, older actors. But the one thing it doesn't have, Cole, there's not really a breakup in this film, which is fine because you love these characters so much. There's a death at the beginning of the film, which breaks up a relationship. Mm -hmm. But... Um, between these two characters, there's not really a breakup. No dramatic slamming of the door and saying, you never understood me. No, there are just some emotional obstacles that they have to get over. Gotcha. I don't want to give away the plot of the movie, but they pretty much give away the plot of the movie in the trailer. But go run to see Return to Me. You're going to love it. Cole, what about Sleepless in Seattle? We had to have Tom Hanks here. Didn't yeah, we? absolutely. <laughs> and this is one where you'll see some overlap because Meg Ryan is in this movie and she's in another one we're going to talk about in just a second here. This certainly 
is one that comes up in pretty much any romantic comedy conversation, right? And for good reason. As it should, because it starts ticking off many of the boxes. Yeah. However, the one thing this film does not have is a wedding. There's no wedding. Everyone's got to get dressed up, put on that gown, go to the reason why you have a rom-com. It's to get together at the end, the wedding. Right. I can't be expected to decide for myself that Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks get together at the end. Oh, see, I, They have to spell it out for me perfectly, Cole. I can't be expected to infer, you know. Is infer the right word? Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably. Thank you. <laughs> so Rom-coms need to hold your hand so that you can hold your Exactly. Hand. You need to spell it all out crystal clear for me. You can't have the uh, the spinning top that Inception had, which, by the way, is not a romantic comedy, but an ending that people complain about quite a lot. I'm not one of those people. But sorry, Sleepless in Seattle, you're not the ultimate rom-com. But let's while we're talking about Meg Ryan, let's talk about When Harry Met Sally. Now, I would venture to say most people might consider this the ultimate romantic comedy. Maybe the greatest romantic comedy ever made. So what could it possibly be missing, Jeffrey? Well, I mean, you definitely have the the plucky best friends. You've got something keeping them apart, and it's kind of each other that's keeping them apart. It's about both of the leads. It's called When Harry Met Sally, and right? And it, it probably does the best job at showing that realistic coming together of a relationship from both sides. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what it's got going for it. It's, they get together at the end, um, but, you know— we racked our brains again. We could not think of a moment in the film where they experience just a clumsy moment where somebody trips over their shoelaces or a banana peel or, you know, they fall into a pool of water and they get all wet. And so they laugh it off and then they go get dried. Often Nothing a like trope that. associated with the meat cute of the rom-com as well. Yes. But not man, true. as much as it pains me to say, Cole, uh, when Harry Met Sally is not the romantic, the ultimate uh, romantic comedy. Well, what about while you were sleeping? Oh, my goodness, Cole. This is like, again, we don't want to use the word offender because uh, we don't want to offend anybody, first of all. But also, we want these things. But if we had to choose a big offender on this list, while you were sleeping would certainly be on there. There are plenty of moments of clumsiness. There are pl- there's several grand gestures, right? There is a wedding in this film. There are plucky best friends. There is something keeping the two leads apart. However, one thing this movie does not have is dancing or singing. Sandra Bullock does have a pretty cool scene in The Proposal, another one of her rom-coms, where she dances around with Betty White. But in probably her better rom-com here, While You Were Sleeping, no dancing. Can't be perfect without the dancing. So, Cole, we said that there were 11 films, and so far we've eliminated 10 films. How to lose 10 rom-coms in about 15 minutes (laughs) is what we've accomplished so far. I love it. I love it. Okay, before I tell you the name of this last film, and we'll just see if it fits the criteria, Uh let's just go down the list here. There's a breakup in this film toward the beginning. Yes. Um, there's and a it, grand. It really, really oh, affects. In an our awful main way, yeah. yeah. There's a grand gesture at the end of the film. Absolutely. There is a wedding at the uh, end of the film. And there's multiple weddings along the way. That is true. Um, there are plucky best friends. Absolutely. There is something keeping them apart. It's about both of the leads. They do get together at the end because they get married at the end. Uh, There are moments of clumsiness, to be sure. Hilarity. 
And this one, when we think of montage and romantic comedy, this is the movie we think of. And I think I think of it for the singing and the dancing that it also manages to incorporate without going full-blown musical. Into the title. It's the wedding singer. Yes. If you it have hits all of these Cole. You have two of our tropes in the title alone when you know you're going to have weddings and singing in the wedding singer. It does tick all the boxes. It's it's Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. They they themselves were a pairing of rom-com proportions with 51st Dates and then later on Blended, but this one is kind of the peak of those two in movies and of rom-coms we think in general. Now, If you will, Cole, since we've just crowned the ultimate romantic comedy, I want you to picture the wedding singer on stage waiting in the wing while all of these other films are being disqualified and the the wedding singer saying, they're losing their romantic comedy status (laughs) and I'm reaping all the benefits. Perfect. And a curtain slowly fading over the wedding singer. Oh, that is, by the way, my favorite moment from The Wedding Singer that comes from John Lovitz. We just watched this recently in my house, and I fought it a little bit because I, I'm kind of in at a place in my life now, Cole, where I only want to watch movies that I haven't seen a hundred times, and I've seen this one a lot. Mm-hmm. But it ended, and I turned to my wife and I said, I love that movie. I'm so glad that we watched it. So if you can only watch one movie this Valentine's Day... And you're looking for the perfect encapsulation of all the different rom-coms, we think The Wedding Singer's that movie. All right, Cole. When we come back... We are going to be sharing with you not only really quickly some of the films that didn't make the discussion that are still favorites of ours, but also we're going to be talking about romantic comedy titles and taglines. And, of course, we'll finish the show off by doing a little panning for good. That's all up next on Screen Cleaning. when your tummy aches Build you a fire if the furnace breaks so it could be so nice growing old with you. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Oh, Cole, if we had to choose a movie about uh, dancing or singing, some form of serenading. This would be the romantic comedy that I would think This is of. my personal favorite grand gesture, too, and it doesn't even happen at the end. It's it's not that traffic stop and moment yeah. or, or interrupting the wedding. It's just during the course of a movie. And it's the, the, very, the very reason why we all fell in love with the late Heath Ledger. But so, the reason that this didn't quite make our list of the pure rom-com is because 10 Things I Hate About You is more of a teen comedy. Right. So we wanted to kind of just really quickly mention some of the sub-genre romantic comedies or movies that we just didn't have room for in the discussion. So we've got 10 Things I Hate About You, About Time, As Good As It Gets, Benny and June, Clueless, Crazy Rich Asians. Which I, I think bringing the rom-com back nowadays, oh, yeah. it, it ticked boxes very purposefully during the course of its Between runtime. Crazy Rich Asians and Netflix, that genre is coming back, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy Stupid Love. Dave, a favorite of mine, you have to check it out. Defending Your Life, my favorite romantic comedy of all time. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it's got Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep in it. You will fall in love with Meryl Streep if you watch this movie. 
along with if any you of her other with her. 20 Oscar-nominated sure. performances. Yeah. Fever Pitch. Which falls into the sports rom-com category. I'm a personal um, fan of those kind of movies, being the sports fan as well. Bull Durham makes that kind of cut. But again, a lot of those can be more about the sports than the rom-com. Jerry Maguire... Mm. More a rom-com than sometimes it gets credited as a sports movie. But again, it's a convoluted genre. Sure. Groundhog Day, which is really a straight comedy with a little romance mixed in. It Happened One Night, another Best Picture winner. Keeping the Faith, La La Land. A modern musical. True. Pretty in Pink, The Princess Bride, which really could be in several genres of film, right? Uh, The Proposal, Say Anything, which has been described as a romantic comedy for guys, 16 Candles, and What's Up, Doc, which is really a screwball comedy more than it is a romantic comedy. As well as probably a hundred other rom-coms that we didn't mention. These are just some of Jeff and I's personal favorites in the genre. Sure. Or slightly outside the genre. Nicole, as I was doing some research for this episode, I came across a Netflix list of romantic comedies, right? And one of the one of the titles of one of the films was Love Per Square Foot, which <laughs> is a very cheesy title. And it got me thinking... If I were to come up with a romantic comedy on my own, what would be the title and what would be the tagline? I'm so excited to do this, Cole, because I've come up with a list of these films and we've also reached out to some friends of ours. You've heard about you've heard us talking about them on the show before. They are our good friends, Kent, Joel and Jacob over at Bacon Sale, the Bacon Sale podcast. You can look them up by going to B-A-C-O-N-S-A-L-E, Bacon Sale. It's a play on uh, Kate Beckinsale's name a little bit, and they are hilarious to listen to. They're a pop culture podcast, and I'm super excited to read what they came up with. I was so excited that I didn't even review their list before. I want to go in blind. We're all going to hear. Just like a good romantic comedy, Cole, that can surprise you and sweep you off your feet. We'll hear their fake names together. All right. a moment. The title of the film is Ghosted. It's not easy looking for a wife in the afterlife. (laughs) I love it. Okay. The next one, Burnt Matches. The tagline, dating apps lead to a lot of duds. Until love strikes. Oh, no. That had so many puns. <laughs> or swipe right this summer. I love it. Okay. And then, oh, my goodness. Less is a more. It doesn't take a lot to show how much you care. Aw. <laughs> oh, that warmed the cockles of, of Cole's cold heart. Um, arrow in the knee. Why you got to be so stupid, Cupid? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, Cole, this is right up your alley. Okay. Twitter pated. Okay. Turn up the tweet with two unlikely lovebirds. Nice. Netflix and Till Death Do Us Part. Are you still watching your love bloom? You know, because of that little message yeah, that pops up. Are you still watching? watching? Okay, uh-huh. very nice. And then lastly here for them, Valentine's Day. Give a present in the past to save the future. Ooh, I love it. So you got a little sci-fi time traveling. You know, we've got, I guess there have been some time traveling romantic comedies too. About time. I count Groundhog Day as a time loop. That's true. Fits in the category. And now for my list. This, you know, go back to school a little bit with this one, Cole. Okay. Chemistry 101. The 119th element is love. 
Hmm. Yes. And uh, this person may need to go back to school, Cole. Loves, spelled L-U-V-S. You can't spell love without us. Got In it. fact, the, the uh, spelling you can, was important. You know, that's, yeah. just, that's just the tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It okay. makes sense on a poster. The next one here is love in a shoe store. Their souls belong together. <laughs> <laughs> a dash of romance. Ooh. Love is the secret ingredient. Ah, there you go. Then there is, this one's interesting. These ones have to do with uh, occupations. James Liebermacher, DDS. Brace yourself for romance. Are orthodontists Cole technically was, DDSs trying, as well? He was trying to uh, stifle a laugh there, but I got him in the end. Yeah. All right. The meter reader and the delinquent. Her love for him will never expire. No. <laughs> I think we stumbled upon Cole's We're... favorite right there. And then just a couple more here. Okay. Um, you know, Cole, you're a fan of like the Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, yes. And really, we don't even need to come up with one for those because there are so many good ones to choose from already. This one is called Wrapped Up in Your Love. You'll cry, you'll laugh, you'll tide. <laughs> uh, again, okay, there we go. There's that one. Lastly, but certainly not least, and Cole, this one is really going to warm your heart because uh-huh. as much as you love romance, you also love horror movies, right? Yeah. So this is actually going to be a remake, a romantic remake of Stephen King's Misery. So it's <laughs> going to be called Misery the Musical. Okay. And instead of doing the tagline, I'm going to do a lyric from one of the songs featured in Misery the Musical. Okay. You broke my ankles, which made them sore. But when you broke my heart, that hurt even more. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. <laughs> I, I appreciate your creativity in bringing to the show what I cannot, and that is that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Cole, those are just some of the romantic comedies that if we could make them, we would, right? Or now all you least. need is a script and a cast. And a... That, those are all minor details. Yeah. And if you look at some of these movies on Netflix and Hallmark, I think the title comes first we, a lot we of can, times. We can cobble together the tropes into a sure. proper movie because now we know what makes a rom-com. Well, once again, we want to thank our friends over at Bacon Sale for giving us some comedy, some rom-comedy gold here in these titles and taglines. And again, you can look them up on BaconSale.com or subscribe to their Bacon Sale podcast. We appreciate the help. And when we return, just like we do with each and every show, we're going to do a little panning for good. That's not working. Hit it with it. Don't ever do that again. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) I wish we would have done like a Valentine's Day version of this and called it Panning for Love. Aw. The prospector uh, finally finds his match. It wouldn't have been as punny, right? Probably. Okay. Anyway, you know, 
we could have spent so much time talking about some of our favorite romantic comedies. The Wedding Singer is certainly one of my favorites. What would you say is your favorite, Cole? I, I think Hitch takes home the crown, if not okay. Crazy Stupid Love. I love the, oh, okay. all the different stories that we get. It, it's like the love actually, but put together in like a normal sure. format. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know how to I don't know how to respond to that because I love Love Actually. But we just because it's got love in the title doesn't mean it's about love. <laughs> We thought for this panning for good, we would feature a movie that kind of touches on a lot of these tropes as well as many, many, many others. Came out about a year or two ago, and it's a movie that if you didn't see, you probably ought to check out because, again, it just skewers the romantic comedy genre. Tis the season, and it's called Isn't It Romantic? Without a question mark, you, you should notice, by the way. It stars Rebel Wilson as this architect who, you know, just can't find love. And yet the perfect guy is just being dangled right in front of her. And wouldn't you know it, they just happen to be best friends, right? They were friends all along. Right. And you'll know from the trailer alone that this movie just is a spoof of romantic comedies. And, of course, then it has a very romantic comedy ending, which... Every romantic comedy should, even if it's skewering romantic comedies. And every good spoof should embrace at least a little bit of the genre that they're making fun of. In my opinion, every good satire comes from a place of love, not from a place of, you know, conflict or, or trying to make fun of it. And, and isn't it romantic? does feel like it was made by people that love rom-coms and they want to kind of show it off. And it comes together in a rom-com-y way. The premise of this movie is she gets knocked unconscious one day as she's getting mugged. And when she wakes up, she's basically if if uh, romantic comedies had a land of Oz, it would be this land because it's the stereotypical romantic comedy universe where everything looks pretty and people have these amazing New York apartments. And, uh, yeah, everything just fits together so well she has the plucky best friend who has all the time in the world for her and doesn't seem to have a job or anything (laughs) and um one of the funny things about this movie is that since it's a pg-13 romantic comedy they can't show any nudity or uh sexual encounters and there are no f-bombs at least not in this universe and it's really fun because you get to see characters that are from her real life that are also in this pretend romantic world and they play these different versions of themselves mm-hmm. and so in that way it's almost like a wizard of oz of sorts right and it i it's a shame that this movie didn't make more money than it did because it really is all you want in a Valentine's Day movie. So you should certainly check out Isn't It Romantic? It is. It Uh, was. It was fun to spend this time learning a little bit more about rom-coms. Probably the genre that I come into movie talking with the least amount of knowledge. I tried to do my research this past week. I watched a couple, boned up a little bit, but Jeff, Jeff, you did great. I can't wait to plop down on the couch with my wife rub her feet like every good husband ought to, right? And I'm not always the best at that. And uh, just sit down and enjoy one of these fine films. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Be sure to perform some act of kindness or love towards somebody else. Preferably in a grand gesture, might I say. While singing and dancing. At a wedding. There you have it. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. We're here each and every week on Screen Cleaning. 